Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Hello, my name is Jen Miller. I'm a student here at the MA program and I'm going to read scripture. From John 13, verses 1 to 17. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm going to pull this down. Well, good morning. Thank you, Jen, uh, for reading scripture. My name is Juliana Heise. Um, I will say about 95% of people who try to say my last name without having heard it first do say hissy. I had one grade 10 teacher go hissly. Not sure where the L came from, but it's very common, and I take no offense to it. <laughs> yeah, you're good, Stuart. So today's passage is pretty well known. In fact, I think it can be so well known that we kind of just skim through it and try to get to the climax, the important, what we view as the important part, Jesus's actions. And I know for me, uh, when I approach a narrative, I have a really hard time diving into the introduction and paying attention to it. I kind of view it the way I view the Star Wars prologues, like when the text is coming up on the screen. Um, I'm not a fan. I want to just get to the movie. But I also know that when I take time to read that and don't zone out, that I'll gain a greater appreciation and understanding for what's about to come. So 
So same with these few verses. So I want to read verses 1 to 5 again. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already decided that Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, would betray Jesus. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from supper, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from supper, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Jesus, knowing that he had come from God, was going to God, and that God had given him all things, got up and washed his disciples' feet. Jesus, knowing fully who he was, got up and served. Jesus, knowing that he was greater than anyone else, got up to do one of the dirtiest and lowest jobs. Jesus, while at the peak of his spiritual journey, was moved to serve. And the way the text describes it is that it was because Jesus knew these things that he got up to serve, because of his understanding of who he was, where he came from, and where he would go, he served. Because he fully understood the Father's love, he served. Through this narrative, we not only see Jesus' love for others, but his complete disregard for social structures and class divisions. Because of our familiarity with the story, we have made foot washing a symbolic gesture, and we've sanitized the act in the process. Like, I've seen foot washing done at uh, wedding ceremonies where the bride and groom wash each other's feet. And because we've sanitized this act, we've lost some of the initial reaction that the disciples would have had upon seeing and experiencing this. We lose the shock, discomfort, and really horror that the disciples would have had. Because the reality is, this was a really gross job. It was intended only for the lowest in society. Someone who was considered your equal wouldn't be washing your feet. And certainly, someone who is above you, like your teacher or rabbi, shouldn't be washing your feet. Because the roads were dusty and muddy and filled with human and animal waste, and people were walking around in sandals. So by the time you got to someone's home, your feet were gross. And there's really no comparable in our culture today. I've seen some people describe it as it was as common to wash your feet when you walked into someone's home as it is for us to brush our teeth before we leave ours. I've also read one author that tried to make an equivalent of the situation uh, by saying it'd be like having a guest speaker come to your church, specifically someone from away. They come to your church, they speak, and then they come to your home for a meal. And during that meal, they get up and say, I'm going to go clean your toilet. And the level of discomfort that we would have at that idea <laughs> is really what the disciples were feeling, especially Peter. Because Jesus pushed back on the social divisions and privileges that came with it. And we can see through Peter how that idea can make us really uncomfortable. Because while Peter initially seems to be showing humility and recognizing that Jesus is greater than him and therefore shouldn't be washing his feet, Peter has missed the point and is still trying to hold on to the social structure and systems that allow him, with his privilege, to get out of this dirty job. 
Because if Jesus was going to love and serve others by doing this dirty work, well, that means that Peter will also have to do this dirty work. And he's still just thinking about himself and ultimately how these social structures and expectations benefit him. And we can sometimes think a little bit like Peter, too. And it can come out in some sneaky ways. Thoughts like, I shouldn't have to clean that up. I shouldn't have to deal with that task or that job anymore. You know what? That is actually beneath my pay grade. I have earned the corner office. I have earned that raise. I have earned that parking spot. I deserve. I have worked hard. I should now be a pastor at a big church. I have earned the right to do less work. I shouldn't have to serve on that committee. I shouldn't have to clean up the garbage or touch the dirty floor. And when you start to list them off like that all together, it sounds a little ridiculous. But when you isolate just one or two of them, it can be really sneaky and really dangerous because our culture actually is encouraging that thinking. But this way of thinking makes it all about you and your position in our culture's eyes. And here, Jesus reminds us that that's not important. When we're focused just on ourselves, we can lose sight of how we can love those around us and how we can serve them. And the challenge is, the higher up you are in society's view, the more prestige and power that you have, the harder this will be because you will have to fight harder against cultural expectations and you will have more to sacrifice. Today, in almost any leadership book or talk, you will hear the idea of servant leadership. Even in the secular world of leadership, there is a recognition that servant leadership is important and elevates your effectiveness as a leader. But once again, we seem to have sanitized this idea and that idea of servant leadership really only gets talked about in the low-hanging fruit types of way. But Jesus' example here is to stoop as low as you can and get into the real mess and dirt. And sometimes that is literal mess and dirt. There's always garbage to clean up. The floors always need to be washed. But there's other types of mess too. Sometimes it's having that conversation with the person that's just really hard to talk to. Sometimes it's confronting that messy relational situation that you've either been ignoring or letting someone else deal with. Sometimes it's sitting down with that person who just always seems to be able to hit all the wrong buttons. But maybe it's also serving in a way that God has called you to, but that you've been pushing away because you're scared of the mess it could create or the mess you'll have to get into. If we're following in Jesus' example, then we cannot let fear of mess prevent us from serving. Fun fact about me, my least favorite household chore is washing the dishes. Not sure why, maybe it's the dirty water, maybe it's how often you have to do it, but I'm not a fan because I currently live where there is no dishwasher, which means every single dish I use has to be washed by hand. But during the summer and winter breaks, I head to Moncton and I live with my parents, and my parents have a dishwasher, which is great. And I love my parents, and I know that if I want to serve them and do something that will make them happy and bring them some joy, especially on the days where I have off and they're still working, the easiest thing I can do, the low-hanging fruit of servanthood in that moment is emptying and reloading the dishwasher. So simple. If I want to take it up a notch, I can do the dreaded chore of washing the dishes by hand, which when you have a dishwasher, you know that those are like the worst type of dishes to watch. It's all the pots and pans and things that just won't come off. And if I really, really want to make a case for favorite child that day, 
<laughs> or at least the first two minutes when they walk in the door. I can also make supper and then wash those dishes too, now having washed dishes twice that day. Now, knowing this is important, knowing how I can serve and love my family is important. But that knowledge is useless if I don't actually do something with it, if I don't actually do the chore. And in fact, it can be a little hurtful if I know it and don't do anything with it. It can hurt that relationship. In verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And I think this verse gives even more importance to the beginning of this narrative. Because at the beginning of this section, Jesus' knowledge moves him to action. And now he's calling us to be moved to action as well. This narrative, this event, is supposed to move us to action. We can discuss this passage all day. We can debate the translation. We can note the interesting use of a Greek verb tense. We can highlight the Christological impact this narrative has. We can talk about how this narrative has had an influence beyond the church. But if it does not move us to action, what's the point? The opening of this narrative shows us how spiritual formation and service are interconnected. Jesus, as fully aware of who he is and who the Father is, was moved to action. He was moved to service. He was moved to ignore the hierarchies of the world, which elevates some and diminishes others. As we grow in our faith and as we grow in our knowledge, we should be moved to action. But so often, people want to separate these two things, seeing as one of them more important than the other. But here, Jesus is really showing us that what you think needs to impact what you do. It needs to inform your actions. If we're following Jesus' example, then we can have the best ideas, the best beliefs. We could be the best thinkers. But if that does not shape how we love and serve, then all of that knowledge seems to be worthless. And when we start to have the idea that what we think or believe is the only important part of our faith, or even that what we think and believe is better than others, well, that can put us in some dangerous waters because we aren't letting that knowledge shape how we love or act. In this passage, Jesus starts by doing. He starts by serving. He starts with the action. And then once he has completed that action and sees that not all the disciples understand what he did or why he did it, then he teaches. He leads by example and then teaches about the significance of it. And I often wonder if the disciples had understood what he was doing, if he even would have taught about the significance. But the disciples have a track record for totally missing the point, so he makes it clear. Which is good, because as it turns out throughout church history, we've all had a record for missing the point. Jesus really says, you call me a teacher, and I am, and I have set this example. Now do as I have done. I have washed your feet, so watch each other's feet. Serve each other. Many of us here today are teachers in different ways and in different contexts, but we're teachers nonetheless of small groups, congregations, youth groups, kids' ministries, or in a classroom as a professor. So if we are to follow Jesus' example, then we are called to serve first, to lead by example, and then teach. What we teach is important. It can change lives. But more often than not, it's what we do that will stick with people. 
This past October, the lead pastor of my home church, the Journey Church, retired after 37 years as our lead pastor. So we celebrated that a lot. <laughs> and one of the celebrations we had was for a ministry called Next Generation Leaders, or NGL. And this was a ministry that Dave started about 13 years ago, and it's a ministry for high school students to come and to learn what it means to be a leader who loves Jesus, who follows Jesus, and who wants to lead like Jesus. And then they're given opportunities to put those lessons into practice through different projects. And as part of this NGL celebration, which we called Dave's NGL Eras Tour, I'm not kidding, it was great. <laughs> We had a moment where past and current NGLers could share what leadership lesson, official or unofficial, had stuck with them the most. And to their credit, the current and really recent NGL grads were able to give specific leadership lessons that Dave had taught. But for those who were in high school five or more years ago, most of these specific lessons had faded. But what we heard over and over again were how his actions, how he carried himself, how he interacted with the high schoolers has shaped people's approach to leadership now. Dave is an amazing teacher, but it wasn't anything that Dave taught that stuck in the long run. It was how Dave served and his actions that stuck with people. Our actions will have a longer impact than most of our lessons, sermons, teach times, or devotionals ever will. And as teachers, what would it look like to serve our students in the same radical way as Jesus washing his disciples' feet? If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You are blessed if you do them. Not blessed if you know them, blessed if you believe them, blessed if you think about them or teach about them. Blessed if you do them. Knowing something and doing something are not the same thing. What we know and what we think and what we believe is important, but it cannot stop there. It must move us to action and move us to service. As we grow in our knowledge, our faith, and our spiritual formation, we should also be growing in our love for God and love for others, and that should push us to serve others in whatever way we've been asked to. Because we can know that we're called to serve and called to serve in a way that questions, resists, and tears down the social structures that are around us. We can know to resist the idea that because I have the bigger job, higher education, or bigger bank account, that I am more deserving of being served than others, that I don't have to serve as much. But until that knowledge shapes our actions, until we do something with that knowledge, until we actually love others and start to serve, that knowledge isn't helping anyone. So I work at the Journey Church in Moncton. I work in this really cool hybrid from a distance model. But I work closely with another pastoral intern who's in Moncton full time. He's actually a Crandall student and an Acadia student. His name is Aiden Hatchard. And Aiden and I are complete opposites in most ways. He's tall, I'm short, he's calm, I'm not. He likes to come up with fun ideas. I like to put those in spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but one way we are very similar is that as Crandall students, we both said yes to way too much. Now I should say, he knows I'm going to share this story. He gave me permission to. Back in December, he was telling me about his last week of classes and how that had gone. And one of the things he does on top of everything else is he's one of the leaders that runs a student-led church at Crandall called Grounded. And he was asked to preach in their final service of the semester on the last day of classes. 
And so he had an idea in mind of what he wanted to preach on. He had some of his key points. So he went to McDonald's to work on this sermon. There's another difference. He likes working at coffee shops and McDonald's, and I cannot. Now, he's admitted to me that he started to write this sermon really last minute. Now, he never gave me a time frame, but knowing him, I think that means he was writing it on the same day he was supposed to preach it, which is not his normal rhythm, so that tells me he was probably feeling a little stressed and overwhelmed. So he sat down at McDonald's and started to work on it. And as he's working on his computer, a McDonald's employee came up behind him, looked at the screen, and noticed he was writing about Jesus. And this employee started to ask him some questions about Jesus. And Aiden and this man had a really good conversation. Now this man, from what Aiden could tell, is, doesn't go to church, doesn't really have a connection, but still wants to have a conversation about Jesus. So they chatted, he went away, and Aiden got back to work on his sermon. But then the man came back and started up the conversation again. And this happened a couple of more times, until eventually Aiden ran out of time at McDonald's and left with an incomplete sermon. But he also left knowing that it was good he was at that McDonald's that day. His sermon that he was trying to work on, the main idea was the call of Jesus is a call to be interrupted. Aiden had been thinking and reflecting a lot about what it means to be interrupted as part of following Jesus. And then he allowed that to impact his actions in the midst of a high-stress season. That day, Aiden let his knowledge of who God is and God's deep love for others move him to action. It moved him to allow these conversations to happen, to stay at the McDonald's, and to put serving before teaching. And God used those conversations. A seed was planted that day. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.